Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Talk Recorded live. So, we now have made it to the time of year when we take a look at players from the particular conferences, uh, starting with the Power Five, and then from there, moving away through the non-Power Five, and then we'll spend a couple of days on non-FBS prospects, and by that point, it'll be almost time when the season starts again, which is crazy, crazy when you think about how quickly the time passes. But nonetheless, uh, the ACC is a conference that, you know, people used to say is a basketball conference, and something that's helped to, I think, dissuade people from that fact is the rise uh, when the ACC expanded and added teams like Virginia Tech, and then later added teams like Miami and Florida State. And, of course, the team that's been there, Clemson, has had a great amount of success recently, has raised the profile of the conference as a football conference. It is a legitimate for real, honest-to-God, fully-grown football conference that can hold its head up high. So as someone who grew up in ACC country, I'm pretty proud of it. I see I've been joined by my co-host, Jim Coburn. How are you doing, Jim? Pretty good. Well, the the basketball conference stigma that once bedeviled the ACC has clearly been dealt with. Uh, having a national champion, having... Florida State, uh, you might see a resurgence Miami soon, perhaps. The ACC now has really good, legitimate football prospects sprinkled throughout the conference. And as you and I pointed out, not only this year, but the past few years, it's beaten the daylight out of a conference like, say, the SEC when it comes to quarterbacks, particularly while the SEC sort of scrambles around trying to find well, a legitimate pro prospect. That they, don't know, they, they don't know how to, how to do it. Uh, they, they don't, you know, for as dominant of a conference as they are perceived, a quarterback is not doing so hot. Well, they're so, hanging all their hopes now on Austin Allen, uh, who has certainly – in a limited action has, has looked pretty good to me. But, you know, the ACC can probably come up with two or three quarterbacks who are just as good, or might come up with two or three quarterbacks who are just as good as the best quarterback the SEC has to offer currently. And perhaps the best they've had to offer in a while, depending upon how Mr. young Mr. Allen develops. But looking at the ACC, which is, broken down into the Atlantic and the coastal. Um, I At least the Big Ten ditched its legends and heroes or whatever. Um, I, I just wish people would just go east, west, or north, south and just keep it simple. But in the Atlantic and the coastal, uh, 
there is in each side there's at least one or two teams that have multiple legitimate pro prospects. Clemson obviously is a team that like I said everybody just watched fairly recently, you know, take the crown off of the head of Alabama and Coach Saban. And though UNC hasn't quite managed to put it all together in terms of on field performance, they seem to have first round sometimes multiple first round players almost every year going back several years. Maryland is perceived as a program on the rise, and there's some people who, there's a couple of players at least that people have in their early top 100s, from, or at least one, sometimes more than one, oh, from Maryland. Oh, I, I well, hate to, uh, this is, <laughs> this is a third yeah. time, but Mar- Maryland is, uh, Maryland is no longer uh, a member of the ACC. I know. I hate that. I, I at some point I'm gonna. Oh God, I'm gonna get used to that someday. Oh God, Ugh. it should be. Go back to the ACC where you belong, Maryland. Jeez, Louise, all is forgiven. Go home. Um, yeah, that's right. That's right. Instead, we've got teams like Syracuse and uh, other teams that really don't belong, but. But yeah, Syracuse. Which I still, yeah, which also has no business in the conference. But and Notre whatever. Dame, which is super kind of. secret, deal <laughs> with the devil kind of situation. Right. <laughs> yes, right. That is such a weird deal with them. You know, having one foot in and one foot out, neither fish nor fowl. Um, but yes, that being that having been said, uh, there's good prospects, uh, even with some of the teams that belong in the conference not being there, teams that don't belong in the conference being there. There's good football, good teams, uh, and I mean, probably not another national champion. Well, I mean, we'll see what happens with Florida State, and who knows, Clemson might surprise us, but. The assumption is that it'll be a good conference even without another national champion. People are super excited about Florida State, and with good reason. They are a top five or so recruiting, you know, if you go by the recruiting rankings, uh, recruiting team perennially pretty much, and usually win the conference when it comes to that in terms of, of, you know, just recruiting heft, uh, depth, or whatever whatever too many years. Duke somehow manages to win eight or so games despite having precious few. Though they've done a little better in the recruiting game in the last few years, they've gotten they've signed some big-ish name players. Uh, they may not be stacking four and five stars like some of the other teams in the conference, but they, you know, they're they're getting better players than they used to. As you mentioned, Louisville is another team that has players that some people like as possible first rounders. Uh, Pitt, another team that I have to remind myself every now and again in the conference, but Pitt has had some flashes and usually has maybe not have players who are projected in the first round, but always has players that are projected usually in the first three or four rounds. They're players uh, people so like. Yeah, they always have players people like, exactly. Players that people like. So I guess without beating around the bush too much, we'll start with the Atlantic Division and start with Florida State. 
Florida State always has prospect types, and they did wave goodbye to Robert Johnson, Travis Rudolph. Um, they uh, waved goodbye to Demarcus uh, Walker. But people are super excited about Derek uh, Nadi. They're super excited about Josh Sweat. Uh, they're excited. Well, I'm excited about Derwin James. Uh, everyone's excited about Derwin James. Uh, let's see. They've got uh, Jacques Patrick. They've got Cam Akers. And, of course, some people think that a future first-rounder quarterback would be on three friends. Wow. Uh, take right. me through, based on what you do and how you do it, who are the players to watch at Florida State and why? Well, you know, that's, that, that's, that's a toughie because <laughs> I they are a talented team. Um, DeAndre Francois is a quarterback that is a very tough quarterback. Mm-hmm. And based on the work I that I do, though, his high school production was not satisfactory to to the data, I guess is what I'm trying to say. It doesn't mean that he's like the lowest guy I've had that was like a starter's like Tyree high school score. Um, but, you know, that – but but he is a tough guy. And Florida well, State has well, had quarterbacks that weren't so great in terms of high school production but did end up being at least adequate starters, I guess, you know. So – Stacking him, putting him, I mean, in the tier of guys that look most like him in terms of the work you do, who would be some of the more successful guys and then who might be some of the cautionary tales that resemble him most in terms of those, that production and those numbers? Oh, um, let me, what up? I would say uh, that one, who's that one guy from, uh, like Brad Kaya, oh, one example okay. of a guy that's kind of like okay. that. Um, his production wasn't exactly as good as Brad Kaya in terms of 2015. And there are reasons. I mean, Florida State's offensive line has been – there's no way around it. They just don't have very good good offensive linemen. I mean, when was the last time that Florida State produced a offensive lineman for the NFL that has – not disappointed, I guess, in the last uh, Rodney, 10 years. Rodney Hudson, maybe? And would that be the last Yeah, one? Rodney Hudson. But they've had Cameroon, right? He was supposed mm. to be mm. something. Uh, we had the last draft with uh, Roderick uh, Henderson, who, again, no, no, not I Roderick had... Henderson. Roderick Henderson is a oh. nose tackle from... Uh, right, right. Roderick um, Johnson. Yeah, yeah. Who, based on the work that I've done, there's never been a starting offensive tackle with this sort of athletic profile, very strange athletic profile. Uh, And of course, they had the Bobby Hart, who is now a starting. At least he's listed as a starting tackle for the Giants. I don't know if that's going to work out though. (laughs) I don't know if that's going to be a. Good situation, and of course, you know the Raiders have graced the the uh, the awesomeness, which is Middleweight Watson, um, oh, yeah. Yeah. who 
has, well, you know, done, done his thing. So not, you know, again, not the best situation ever uh, in terms of offensive linemen. I don't necessarily think that's going to change. I think the bulk of this, this Florida State team, one, I'm super excited about Cam Akers at right. running back uh, because I saw the spring game stuff. He looks really – looks very like Garrett – not like Garrett Blunt, but uh, Leonard Fournette-ish in terms of uh, – but like a more compact sort of – Yeah, more Fournette. compact, more explosive, but right. that same sort of – Stubbornness. <laughs> right, right. You that won't be tackling sort of, me today. <laughs> Sorry. Exactly. Exactly. That type of uh, attitude, which is fun, you know. Uh, and, you know, Jacquees Patrick is very much like the past sort of guys that they've had. Like, uh, uh, who's that? I'm trying to think of the, that one running back who was a safety who they turned oh, into a running Carlos, back. Um, right. Yeah, oh, Carlos, okay. yes. uh, Carlos something. Hold on. Yeah, uh, Watkins. But, yeah, Carlos Watkins. What, what? Yeah, something like that. Uh, you know, he's on the Bills or was on the Bills or who knows exactly. Yeah, then he, got, uh, he, was then like, he got suspended and he got cut. Yeah that whole situation and then people still believe I believe in you, you know, type of thing. Cause he's a big running back that runs fast. Uh, you know, and he's very, he's similar to him. Uh, now of course he's better, you know, he actually has, you know, some, uh, idea of how to play the running back position, which was always sort of the issue with, uh, Carlos. Yes. Yeah. That was Williams. The, the issue. Williams, not Watkins Williams. Thank you. Carlos Williams. Yeah. Williams. Yes. Yes, yes, Carlos Williams. And, yes, he, he was everything you wanted, except he just didn't really understand what he's supposed to do all the time. Exactly. Not always so, quite I mean, clear. So, so that was always sort of the issue in terms of, you know, that kind of stuff. But, um, but yeah, I mean, they offensively, Cam Akers, Jacquees, Patrick, the wide receivers, everybody's been like odd and Tate, odd and Tate, odd and Tate, odd and Tate type stuff. I mean, I'm, you know, I'm, I see him as a guy who could break out. He hasn't exactly become like a fully realized dud guy, I guess. Uh, but he's, but he's definitely one of those. And plus, they have other guys like George Campbell and a couple other guys that are just waiting to kind of. The thing with Tate is the looks, the part factor. There's always right. I mean, we've seen this movie before, Jim. <laughs> I mean, if you're going to look like him or look like Mike Williams or look like. Uh, other guys that look like that. Uh, even that was part of the excitement around um, Laquan Treadwell. Look at it. Just look at it. You know, you know, look at his beautiful plumage. So, yes, there's. If you look like that guy looks, and he did, you know, flash stuff. I mean, in limited reps, and then obviously in some spring game type stuff. But he hasn't done enough yet for you to, you know, I mean, anything this time is going to be projection, obviously, even for guys that have done more than he's done, but especially for a guy like on tape, it's all sort of, you know, this is the summer of odd kind of things. Right. And it very may well be, but I, I'm a wait and see kind of guy with 
some players, and he's just one of those types of players that's like that, you know. Um, it's more of a wait-and-see sort of situation. Um, in terms of the defensive side of the ball, you know, it's Derwin James. Uh, Tavares McFadden is a guy who he's a very he's a very weird profile to me, Bill, because when I recently did uh, cornerbacks, quarterback day of work, uh, he had very, very high pass deflection market share. But his solo tackle market share score was about 9.69 out of 100, um, which is very, lo- like, lower than I've had for – lower even than uh, Antonio Cromartie, you know, who was a guy who missed – who was basically a backup and missed significant times due to injury, you know, Florida State. Um so, and it's definitely something you can improve upon, but I always find it funny that I don't know if this is where cornerback production is going to where solo attack mark share is just always going to be low and pass selection is just going to be high because of the nature of spread offenses and stuff like that. But I just, that was the only sort of concerning thing, I guess, with McFadden is that he does have very, very high pass selection market share. It's just his solo attack mark share is very, very low like significant, like danger zone, like what's going on type low in terms of that sort of thing. Um, but yeah, defense, you know, you have him, of course you have German James, uh, who is all, very, very fun safety to watch as well. Uh, Derek Nandi is the defensive tackle there that I think might get some attention and based on data looks kind of decent. While Josh Sweat, it's just another sort of projection kind of guy. He hasn't really produced up to the point of someone that you should like go immediately put in as a day two pick or whatever. But there's still that high school stuff lingering on him, I guess. So it's like either he breaks up this year or he just continues to be sort of a disappointment, I guess. Because um, he's definitely not to David Clowney. Uh, and even though that wasn't really a comparison that you should have put on him, uh, you know, Jadavion Jay- Clowney did a lot more in his sophomore year than than what Josh Sweat has done so far at, at, at his career at Florida State. Yeah, I, I mean, for obvious reasons, we all like to see Josh Sweat show what he can do. He should be hopefully 100% healthy this year. But I agree, he's done – not very much thus far, and I still haven't seen him look like the kid that he was pre-injury. Now, like I said, this might be the year that he does that. Are there any other Florida State players any other position, maybe that I've missed or, or didn't mention that have, in your mind, have a chance to, to see? Right. Well, I mean, Ryan is, though, the tight end there. Uh, I think it's better than uh, than uh, Nick O'Leary. You know? Very okay. Yeah, right. So he's and he's sort of has that quite. He just has that sort of. It's more the looks the part thing than anything else, but looking the part definitely gets you a lot of attention. I guess you know because he just has that sort of tight end look. You know the white tight end look. I don't know how to describe it, but he just has that sort of look no, around him in terms of physical. Yeah, they're long legs, broad shouldered, strong ish or strong looking at least. 
and they catch the ball well enough. They may not be right. great runners, but they're big, and they are unafraid of contact, and yep. uh, and usually block enough. And some of them are even exactly. pretty good. But... I wouldn't necessarily and... say Ryan Izzo is an amazing blocker, but right. he's adequate. He blocks enough. Yeah, he blocks enough, especially yeah. for nowadays. I mean, the let's be honest, the bar has been brought down somewhat. <laughs> so. Oh, so, way low. Yeah, I mean, like Jason Witten. I mean, go back and look at the scouting reports from Jason Witten coming out of Tennessee, and he's he is described as good enough or adequate or average or maybe slightly above average by most scouting reports of, of that era as a blocker. And you look at him now against the guys that were, were grading, put his college tape up against the guys we're talking about, and he he looks like I mean, it's like he's from some of the 1960s by comparison. You know, he's almost devastating by comparison to what we're used to. Greg Olson was a guy that people had question marks about his blocking coming out. And now he's considered almost an elite-level blocker by the standards of this day. So, yeah, yeah but we have, to give, we have to grade blocking on a curve nowadays with, uh, with tight ends. Yeah, unfortunately. I was, I was actually watching. So I was working on a, a Deion Sanders video. And I was checking out some 1987 Miami tape and other stuff like that, uh, which is, you know, different than now. Um, but, I mean, here's what, here's what I know about Florida State. They are always a threat because of Jimbo Fisher. You know, he he there there's enough defensively. Like, that's the best thing I could say. The strength of this team, I think, is going to be on defense. You know, if all those guys stay healthy, you know, Josh Sweat, Duran James, Tavares, McCann, all those guys stay healthy. And DeAndre Francois can at least game manage. I know people hate that term, but, you know, be a game manager with Cam Akers as the running back. If he ends up being, you know, living up to the hype, which I think he might, then this could definitely be the team that wins the ACC. At the same time, it could also just end up being Florida State again, where they just have tons of injuries and nobody's still healthy, and the, you know, like it's just all crumbles. But that would be what most Florida State fans are hoping is for that scenario to happen. I guess is you know the running back Cam Akers is the truth, and the defense does what it needs to do. It actually ends up being one of the better defenses in that conference, and then boom, they end up maybe not winning a national championship, but at least get it close, you know, to one. Yeah, I mean, they are a legitimate threat, as you just mentioned, partially because of Fisher, partially because they do stockpile a fair amount of talent. And with the newfound respect, partially due to Clemson for the ACC, I think whoever comes out of the ACC, assuming they don't have two losses or something, but – I think whoever comes out of the ACC conference, I won't say they're a lock, but they're close in order to be, you know, one of the one of the final four. And of course, speaking of Clemson, we can't not we can't not discuss we can't avoid discussing Clemson, uh, which has also downtoed itself into a national recruiting powerhouse that's consistently in the top ten or so, and sometimes even above that level. Obviously, they did lose players, uh, the most notable being Deshaun Watson. Now, 
though that's an important position, they weren't exactly ravaged by losses. I mean, Mike Williams is a player that I, I mean, I'm not trying to be mean, but I think he's replaceable. And, you know, Artavis Scott is a guy that, frankly, shouldn't have declared early, but did. Uh, Wayne Gallman moved on, but I, once again, not trying to make any Wayne Gallman adherents angry, but he seems to me also to be a good player who, a player who's eminently replaceable. Uh, they had a few losses on defense, obviously. Carlos Watkins, sorry, yes, the the real Carlos Watkins, I apologize, uh, being amongst them. Uh, the heart and soul of the defense, Mr. Boware, moved on down the road. Cordero Tankersley, the uh, former Batman to McKenzie Alexander's uh, rather loquacious, I mean, the uh, Robin to the rather, former Robin to the rather loquacious. McKenzie Alexander version of Batman. But none of those losses to me seem to be crippling losses, I guess is the way I'd put it. No. Right? They don't feel like, I mean, Deshaun Watson is probably the most difficult of those players to replace. But take me through, based on work, the work you do and, and what you've seen, what does Clemson have returning and who do we think or who do you see as a possible future uh, NFL prospect? Well, the quarterback position, I mean, there's no way around it. The quarterback position is going to be in a state of limbo is the best way I can put it Uh, because, you know, Kelly Bryant is the starter right now. Based on the stuff that I do, he was a 59 to 61 uh, out of 100 passer, which, again, just to – put I guess into better perspective, that's guys like – Travis Wilson, uh, Ben Chappell, Drew Olson, you know, guys like that. In terms of, you know, sort of Nick Marshalls and other sort of guys like that, Jeff Driscoll. Um, oh, boy. Tino Sanseri. Oh, Do you boy. remember that guy? So, like, <laughs> it's not good. And, <laughs> and, on top of, good. <laughs> and on top of that, the guy they got quarterback-wise, the freshman guy they got quarterback-wise, and Hunter Johnson is one of those guys that people were praising as a five-star uh, guy, but all the data work I've done on him, he in 2015 he had a 4.69 high school production score, and then in 2016 he followed it up with a 11.17 high school production oh, score. Oh no! And he's a five-star recruit. Um because I guess he looks good, I guess. And guys that are like him, Kevin Hogan is one of those guys. Uh, Colton Browning is another guy. He had an 8.44 high school production score. Tanner Price, another guy kind of like that. So, like, it's just not good. Now, the the good news for Clemson fans is that they got the – the one guy, um, I forgot, but he was at at the Elite Eleven. Plays in, at uh, Cartersville, Georgia High School, I think, is that high school. But they, they recruited a quarterback who has a Pro Bowl high school production score, but he's not going to be on their team until next year, obviously, and, and also, also if he remains recruited there. But this is going to be a limbo year, I guess, at quarterback, you know, because they don't, they don't have Deshaun Watson anymore, you know, obviously. 
And the quarterbacks they have on roster right now are the guys, like I just mentioned, guys that are not incredible. So that's going to be sort of an issue. At the wide receiver position, the guy I really like is Hunter Renfro, who nobody else likes. So I think he's like the I think he's the best route runner on the team. Um, Deion Kane oh. is another. Deion Kane is very much like Auden Tate in that he's. I just see a very Martavis Bryant sort of situation. He's not even as talented as Martavis Bryant, but like it's the sort of thing where like he's a tall wide receiver who runs relatively fast and this will be the year he breaks out, you know, type of thing, that type of story. Uh, but he just hasn't really broke out yet. So that's just going to be sort of an issue, I guess, in terms of him. Uh, of course, everybody talks about Mitch Hyatt, who based on physical measurables is more of a guard, you know, six, five, more of a guard on most of the stuff I do, unless he like tests amazing as athlete at the NFL level. That's, more of a guard for a situation. But I think the, the the good thing about him is defensively, I mean, the heart of the Clemson defense has always been with their defensive line. Uh, it's never really been about the secondary players because the reason why Mac Alexander and Tankersley were able to do what they did was because there was such a good pass rush that quarterbacks didn't have enough time to throw the ball, you know, very far. So they didn't really have to cover people for – that long, you know, in terms of in terms of what they had to do, they just had to. That's why they were able to kind of play press and and get and jam wide receivers and do all that kind of stuff. Because even if they messed up, the quarterback just doesn't have enough time to really make plays for the most part. And that's going to be with the two guys in the middle, you know, Dexter Lawrence and then of course Christian Wilkins. You know, I think those guys are going to be very important in terms of. Uh, you know, getting after the quarterback and doing that kind of stuff. And if that stays intact, I think they'll be fine. But I just don't see a scenario uh, with their offense or their defense that they'll repeat as the ACC champions again. Because I think a big reason why they were so successful is because, one, having all that defensive talent, and, two, having Deshaun Watson uh, with the other sort of pieces on offense. And now that that's gone – uh, they're just kind of it's – it's similar to like Florida State when they lost Jameis Winston, you know, uh, sort of situation. They're they're going through that right now, I think, as a team. So, like, I don't really think they're going to be heading the ACC again this year. They could next year, but right now it's not looking too good in terms of their quarterback situation. And on defense, they just look a little less stellar than they did in the past because they lost so many guys. Right. And based on the work that you do, who do you think is the most prominent or the most promising of the prospects at Clemson? Uh, well, Christian Wilkins. You know, based on you know, based on his production, I mean, there's some positives there. Um, you know, he's a decent athlete. So, like, there there's some positives in terms of his. Uh, profile tape wise, I really like Hunter Renfro. Um, oh, yes. Future, as the joke goes, future Patriot. Most likely, yeah. <laughs> you know, in terms of, in terms of like him, but, but that's really about. I mean, the, the the team. I mean, Mitch Hyde, I haven't seen much of yet. I mean, I've seen a couple games of him, but not enough to really have like a strong opinion on him. And again, I think he's 
solid. I just don't exactly – he doesn't scream like top tackle sort of, you know, material, um, you know, in terms of his film. So, like, I do think they have – I mean, I would say Mitch Hyatt, Christian Wilkins, and then Hunter Renfro would be the three prospects I really like, but that's about it. There's a lot of guys that just have, you know, to break out, I guess, you know, in terms of – because there's a lot of new things there, I guess. So it, it's going to be kind of a interesting sort of situation to see who emerges and stuff like that at Clemson. Because they are a very talented team. It's just I think there was a lot of talent that was lost. And as a result, guys have to fill voids that they may not be able to fill. And that brings us to Louisville. A sort of resurgent program. Helped, of course, by you know, Lamar Jackson's at times freakish performances, and of course, good old "quote unquote" next job, Bob. But Bobby Petrino has, you know, returns to the scene of his initial glory to some extent. They did lose Todd Rampham, who's now at Mississippi State, and Peter Sermon, who I remember as a linebacker prospect many years ago, but. Uh, Peter Sermon is now there. Uh, they re- they're replacing D'Angelo Brown, De- uh, Devontae Fields, Keith Kelsey, and Jair, um, on defense. And on offense, uh, Brighton Radcliffe, James Quick, Jamari Staples, and Cole Scaccini. So amongst the returning players, who should we watch and why, Jim? Huh. Well, you should watch Lamar Jackson for the fun, but I wouldn't necessarily say that he should be considered a top quarterback prospect, though. Um, and that's just because as a passer, he's still light years away uh, in terms of just being a very efficient passer. And he does have very high yards per attempt sort of stats, if you will, but those stats have become less predictive in terms of finding NFL quarterbacks. The stats that are really important are things like touchdown interception ratio, completion percentage, and those are things that Lamar Jackson just kind of lacks is a really good touchdown interception ratio and completion percentage. Uh, And yes, he did win the Heisman Trophy, but again, Heisman doesn't always necessarily mean great quarterback play. NFL level, you know. Um, says hi. Yeah. Uh, so, like, there definitely are some guys that are like that, but, like, I – and he is a fun player to watch, but I just think he's just – he's you know, he's overrated. You know? um, I think people mm-hmm. put too much into the potential with him than what actually has, you know, happened so far. Because uh, thus far, he has not had a Michael Vick-like season. As much as people keep saying that he had a Michael Vick season, based on the day that I do, he did not have a Michael Vick season. Um, as much as he is a running quarterback, he's a guy that during his actual Heisman season, it was very Johnny Manziel-like of the season, Bill, where he definitely had some ups and downs, you know, but the ups were on like national television, you know, and the downs were 
at games that nobody was watching anyway, you know, like Kentucky and stuff like that. Uh, so he just is, he's a very, it's, it's very interesting, you know, like it's very interesting beast, you know, where you don't have to really play well the entire year. You just have to play and select games, you know, and create highlight reels for yourself early on. And then the rest of the season doesn't really matter, you know, like all, all they'll remember is what happened at the very beginning of the year. Um, you know, cause it, it gets to that point where, you know, like you're at a grocery store and you, you've been making all these decisions and then you just throw your hands up and go, ah, well, I'll just, I'll just buy this, you know, the stuff over here on this rack, you know, um, <laughs> which I'm not saying that's exactly what happened to Lamar Jackson. Cause again, he's an exciting player to watch. I just don't it's, see a pattern. He's having impulse racks for dinner. Let's see what we got some Rolos. Uh, we got some, um, <laughs> you know, look at some Zima. Uh, we also yeah. got here. <laughs> we got some tabloids, you know. A couple of bags of Funyuns. Yeah. Because it, it just happens. Because it's designed for you to just to throw your hands up because you're, you know, you're done. You know, I want to leave. All right, fine. <laughs> I'll take this. I'll buy this. Um, and that's really what Heisman voting seems to be. You know, you have a really long season and the writers are tired and they just throw their hands up and go, all right, we'll give it to that guy. You know, because he he you saw that play against Syracuse, you know, where he's leaping over the other guy. So Heisman Trophy, you know, that thing. Um, but yeah, he's just not the best passer. Uh, and that's that's just the big issue I have with him. But other than that, I like the defense at Louisville a lot more than the offense. You know, I James turns is a pass rusher that's there who I liked a lot more than uh, than Devontae Fields. I felt like he was better, you know, in terms of just brushing the passer a little stronger. Um, uh, Stacey Thomas is a linebacker there that I think might get some more attention. And, of course, the main defensive guy that everybody talks about is Jari Alexander. Based on the work yeah. I do, he is in that top five corner sort of area. Yep. Um, you know, he's a guy who can make plays. He can do different stuff like that. I haven't gotten too much in his film yet, but he is someone that just based on highlights and stuff, he's, you know, solid across the board in terms of everything, but he's probably the top prospect at Louisville. Um, but offensively, I just don't have a clue in terms of the running back situation there and the wide receiver situation there. Some people are big on Jerron Christian, the left tackle there. I'm not the biggest fan of it. I just think he's not very fast, uh, which is always sort of an issue um, with certain offensive tackles. So, but yeah, I, I just don't, I mean, I don't really see this team as, I know a lot of people like Kaizen too, or, Louisville is going to win the ACC this year type of thing. I don't really see that. So No. They're not going to win the ACC. They'll be lucky. What is it, lucky? I mean, I think that they're more hamstrung than either the first two teams we mentioned by what they lost, even though Clemson obviously lost their quarterback. I think they're in better shape. Not that I think they're going to win the conference, but I think they're, they're better set up. I don't. I see Louisville dropping probably four games this year. 
Now they could get hot or something could happen and I could be wrong. But I just about wild about their prospects. Now, speaking of prospects, uh, some people really like some NC State players. Uh, some people really like some guys. Last year, Matt Day sort of became a late draft Twitter favorite uh, towards the end of last year. Also, Jalen Samuels is another guy that uh, they lost. Uh, Ryan Finley, who, you know, one of those well-traveled transfer quarterback types is now finally out of uh, collegiate eligibility. Um, Josh Jones, Jack Tocho, Dravius Wright are all gone from the secondary. And they lost Joe Selfo from the offensive line. They do bring back Johnny Frazier at running back, uh, who had some flashes prior to injury, um, which was what sort of allowed Days to shine and put an end to sort of a quarterback by committee thing they used to do. So sort of a, almost a blessing in disguise. But once again, the Days fans, you know, got a chance to fall into a match Days over what Days was able to do. But take me through NC State's players based on the work you do and, and once again, about whom should we actually be feel excited based on the guys that they have? Well, I like Tony Adams. He's the, you know, he's the guard that's there. Um, he's kind of a, you know, a big uh, sort of powerful guy on the inside. Uh, Jalen Samuels is still there. He's, you know, he's an H-back. He's, he's very Curtis Samuel in terms of how they use him. Um, I don't really think he's a tight end. I think he's, I think what you would, the slot right. position, I don't know. What is he, six pounds or something? I mean, how, is he? <laughs> I mean, how big is he? I mean, yeah. He I, that thought, but he didn't look that big. He's, like, listed at, like, 215 or something. Oh, okay. So, um, like. Uh, which I who knows maybe two or five, but you know he's he's very much like a slot sort of you know slot a slot thing. I don't I don't know the best way to call it, but you know a thing that you put in the slot and it catches passes. So uh, he's not exactly sometimes you line it up at running back and sometimes you split it out wide. Sometimes you even line it up at tight end just for fun. Right. Exactly. So he's, you know, interesting. I mean, I like him. Uh, I wasn't exact. There were some people that were kind of drooling over him, which I didn't really, because he, he doesn't exactly have, like, Curtis Samuel's speed or anything like that, you know. Um, but he but he does have, yeah, good speed for a guy his size. But he was definitely one of the offensive guys that was sort of like that. I think the big, and the big prospect there, the prospect that I, saw and was like, wow, this guy's really good. Is Bradley Chubb, you know, the yeah. defensive guy. And he reminds me a lot of Colonel McPhee just in terms of, you know, body type and just kind of style, you know, of uh, his ability. So I don't necessarily think he's like feature top 10 pick or anything like that, but I do think he's someone that, can become a team's, you know, a number two kind of, you know, complementary pass rusher and do, be really decent in that sort of role uh, in terms of the future with him. But, you know, he's, he's very good. 
he just isn't exactly someone that I think, you know, is going to be a top five pass rusher than a Paul Lovino, like that sort of thing. Okay. And in terms of what Bradley Chubb, you mentioned um, uh, Pernell McPhee. Uh, that was, I can't remember who the comparison I came up with, but, oh, um, uh, Edwards. Ray Edwards, I think it was somebody that, that I, I thought of as well from Purdue, one of the many, many, many Purdue pass rushers. Was the guy he sort of reminded me of? Jim? Yeah. Oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> I was saying that um, I was thinking of other guys that he reminded me a bit of, Bradley Chubb, and I, was, I said Ray Edwards was a guy that I I thought of as well that I saw some of, of in terms of both playing style and, and also physically. The uh, Viking, and he played for someone else with that Viking. But uh, I know he, he, he played for other teams. He, he had the big. Uh, he had the big game against the Cowboys in the playoffs. Yes. yes, yes, right. That Ray Edwards. What does Chubb in your mind need to work on, or where does he need to improve? He does want to make sort of force his way up into say the, you know, middle or or even top half of the first. What would he have to do? more differently? Well, from a production standpoint, he would just have to get better in terms of, uh, you know, sack market share. He has really, really high tackle for loss, uh, you know, in terms of defending the run uh, and solo tackle, but probably just, you know, up his sack stuff a bit. Film-wise, I mean, he is a little raw-ish in terms of, you know, hand usage and stuff like that. Uh, in terms of, uh, you know, having sort of a secondary move and like a a secondary move that actually works uh, effectively. But if he can do that, you know, if he can get a lot better in terms of his backup moves and stuff like that, I think he's a guy who could become a late first kind of go where probably Derek Barnett went, you know, in terms of uh, like upside next year. You know, I think it's sort of a top, middle of the first round kind of guy as like total upside sort of thing with him. Okay. And that brings us to Wake Forest, the Demon Deacons, a um, a program that people usually say things like try hard and, uh, you know, uh, what's the other term you hear? Sometimes scrappy. You know, <laughs> you get called scrappy a lot. Uh, Dave Clawson followed, of course, um, Jim Grobe, who was another sort of doing it right, scrappy kind of guy who managed to carve out some victories in his time there. They had they went three and nine back to back, but then they managed to go seven to six last year, which you know for Wake Forest is kind of big doings. Uh, got to and beat Temple, for those who somehow forgotten, in a bowl game. So, you know, take that, <laughs> try hard people. But uh, they bring back a lot of players. Uh, John Wolford and Kendall Hinton apparently are 
pardon me, quarterback, quote-unquote, competition. Uh, Kay Carney sort of took over, semi-took over the committee running back situation late in the year. And somehow they still have Cam Serene, Serene, who is, what, like a six-year senior or something? It seems like he's been there a very, 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 very long time. Uh, They sort of have a wide receiver by committee situation as well. Uh, They did lose Tyler Hayworth and Josh Harris. But other than that, there's not a lot lost on that side of the ball. Markel Lee's probably the best of the um, defenders they lost. They also had Brad Watson, what kind of light, uh, move on, Thomas Brown, and Josh Banks. But I think they, other than that, they bring back the rest of their defense as well. So I think that's something like seven or so returning stars on each side of the ball, if memory serves me correctly. But tell me, uh, based on the work you do, are there Wake Forest players? Are there any demon deacons who might be demon drafted? Huh. Yeah. Uh, that's kind of tough. Tough to say. I would I would say number one guy, of course, is Duke the GF4 as a pass rusher. I don't think that he is like a high-end sort of like I see him more as like a day two, day three kind of pass rusher guy where like he would have to go to the senior bowl and have a really big day at the senior bowl sort of thing to kind of rise amongst people's opinions of him. I think he's a solid player. I don't really think he's amazing, but he's like the only guy there that I see that has a decent shot of uh, getting drafted fairly high. Uh, ish. And of course, Cam Serene is kind of a tough, uh, you know, H Becky kind of tight end prospect as well, who may get drafted, may not get drafted based on sort of what happens. But Wake Forest continues to be, you know, the Wake Forest. They have, you know, scrappy, tough kind of players who don't. Uh, you know, I don't want to say they don't have like high upside and stuff. It's just that they're just that program in general just seems to kind of hit a wall a lot. You know, um, right? For, so they don't you know, have a tremendous amount of depth ever. Yeah. So injuries are bad news for everybody, but injuries are terrible news at Wake Forest. Yeah, very. There's bad. usually a pretty good drop off between their starters and their non-starters. Exactly. So that's, you know, that, that sort of issue. I think there might be some good things with Kendall Hinton, a quarterback, maybe, possibly, if he ends up winning the job there. Uh, he had at least adequate sort of, compared to the quarterbacks that Wake Forest has had in the past, he has <laughs> better positives to his production, at least at high school level than others. Um, so that if he ends up being the starter, that would actually might help them a good bit in terms of, you know, production, stuff like that. But uh, I just don't really see a ton of guys. Um, you know, the, yeah. the defense is the Wake Forest defense. You know, they're always going to have a couple guys here and there. Uh, and I think the last time they had a top player, like a really, really high drafted first rounder, not Kevin Johnson, but uh, – 
uh, the Aaron Curry. I think Aaron like Curry, last. of course, who was a guy that that was my big message. You know, I was a huge Aaron Curry fan. So yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Kind of third overall. He was, I mean, he was on a lot of people's list of the safest prospects in the draft. Like, who's the safest prospect? Oh, I was Aaron Curry. Yeah, very Ruben Foster-ish in terms of uh, production. But, um, yeah, I mean, I you know, Duke, I think Duke is probably going to be the top, or at least he's the first guy drafted. But I'm just not the, I don't know, I'm very tempered my expectations on him. Because even if he does improve this year, which I think he will, I just don't necessarily think his upside is, like, crazy amazing, you know. I think he's just someone that has a chance to become an NFL starter, but not necessarily, like, an amazing sort of uh, prospect. Right. And that moves us now to one of those programs that I'm always struggling to remind myself is in the conference. Syracuse. Uh, it's not your fault, Syracuse. It's fine. I, I just have to remind myself that uh, that uh, you are in the conference. But uh, this may be the most excited and maybe most exciting foreign aid program in the nation. The fans around that program seem to be super jazzed, at least to some extent, about last year. Uh, part of it's because of the Virginia Tech victory. Part of it's because the team just looked better than it had looked in, in recent years. Um, Dino Babers is an exciting and talented coach who seems to have his, his players play super hard for him, so I guess that also is one of those things that gives them reason to feel hopeful. And they bring back not everybody, but a lot of bodies. And once again, sort of like we talked about with Syracuse, the one thing that sort of scares you is there's a pretty decent drop-off between, you know, the guy who's at the top of the depth chart and the guy who's behind it. Uh, they do lose Amba Etesawu, who set some Syracuse records. I think he holds, I think, two, one or two Syracuse records. Then uh, he was the favorite target of Eric Dungey, who you mentioned Mike the year. Maybe another guy who's in the running for the, you know, Red Badge of Courage Award for young quarterbacks. He took an astonishing number of hard hits. Some of them his own fault. He had a tendency sometimes to hold the ball, trying to make things happen that weren't there. And He's a good athlete, but not a great athlete who sometimes try to run into or out of situations that he's not quite the athlete. He's not Lamar Jackson, so he wasn't able to. In fact, it was interesting to watch the um, Syracuse Louisville game because he seemed to almost take it as a personal challenge. So when you see Lamar Jackson do something like, I can't hurdle a dude, and then he would almost hurdle a dude, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which that was, but yeah, that was another yeah. That was another game, too, for Syracuse that they lost to Louisville, but they didn't look they didn't look bad losing to them. Nope. I think that's part of the, like I said, the rather unusual sense of optimism surrounding a 4 program. Even in games where they lost and there were 
probably eight of them, in all but a couple, they looked like they belonged. They didn't look like, oh, man, you guys have no business playing with things that are bad. And this is what they do lose their top receiver. Uh, they, as we just mentioned, an offensive line that had some struggles. But they pretty much bring back a lot. I mean, that that team is largely intact. Amongst the players that I noticed that at least flashed for me uh, when I was watching them, uh, Blair Franklin caught my eye a couple of times on defense, Chris Slayton also on the defensive line. Um, they still have Irvin Phillips and Steve Ishmael from their receiving core, even though, like I said, they no longer have a Tau, uh, Etta Tau. And like I said, Dungeon sometimes, though I think he tried to do too much, at times certainly looks good. But take me through, based on the work you do, uh, who are the guys that we should be, you know, giving our attention and, and why? Well, the, the the issue with Eric Dungy is that he did have a decent, he had a 76 uh, production year, which is be, it's good, above average college football. Uh, his high school production, though, was 31.42 out of 100, uh, which is oh. not amazing. Um, it doesn't mean that he's going to end up being terrible for the program. It just there's that's that's there that's like the sort of when i was going through you know potential quarterback stuff i was like kind of bummed out i guess in terms of when i discovered that sort of information uh but he could still be you know start for them i think my favorite prospect on the team right now is antoine cordy who's the safety there in the Louisville game in particular, he made a couple of big plays, had some bad plays too. But yeah. then again, it's like, hey, it was one of those situations where the safety didn't realize how fast Lamar Jackson was. <laughs> you know, that happened to a few people. <laughs> where it was like, oh, you're a lot faster than I thought. It was, you know, situations <laughs> like that. In terms right. of angles he, and depth. He put into his onboard computer athletic quarterback angle, his angle you take to, you know, tackle the athletic quarterback. He didn't put it onto, like, potential first-round wide receiver mode, which is right. probably what he may have needed to do to take the proper tackle. Yeah. So, so that, that wouldn't happen. But I did think he was a guy who, you know, it's fairly instinctive. Uh, and, you know, I don't know. I, I just felt like, in that game in particular, he showed a lot of positives and negatives, but the positives kind of outweigh the negatives in terms of that particular game. Uh, the other guy they have there, which I don't know if anybody talks about, but Zaire Franklin. Yep. Not the biggest fan of. Uh, he he was one of those linebackers where, you know, again, I watched over 100-plus linebackers, where it was a central theme of being small, like being smaller, but not being faster. Like they're not fast enough to be amazing. And they're not strong enough to tackle 
So it, you're in a situation where you're not fast enough to cover very well and you're not strong enough to tackle very well. So you are now just cannon fodder, you know, in the middle of the field. Um, right. when, he, whenever you play spread the off. The size of Gary Brooks doesn't make you Gary Brooks. Exactly. Uh, and though he was really productive, that was just the whole, my whole issue consistently when I was watching his film. Um, you know, Steve Ishmael, I think some of the wide receivers there might have some chances to break out, you know, because, you know, Tao is gone, so, you know, somebody will have to step up. So I think there's some potential there, but I just don't know, man. I, I know you should be excited by about Syracuse somewhat because they didn't look bad, but I still think that it's going to be at least, at best, maybe a 500 season is in the works. But I don't. But they could just as easily be four and eight again, you know. But I, you know. But I think they'd be a little bummed if they're four and eight. I think they'd actually be kind of jazzed if they went six and six. Right. I mean, that's that's the possibility. That's the hope. That's the dream. Is six and six. But I just don't necessarily know if that's that's going to have to be like a well earned six and six. You know, if, if they end up doing that. Well, it'll be a good test for the coaching abilities of one, you know, Baber. So I do like as a coach. And that brings us now to, believe it or not, Boston College of was sort of a sexy dark horse in the ACC, but those days have gone. Uh, they have struggled. Not I mean, they haven't been bad, but whenever they've played teams with superior talent, you've been able to tell they're playing a team with superior talent. Like, it's not hard to spot. It's like, oh, ah, yes, team speed, that's what it looks like. Well, they did manage to rebound last year, went 7-6. and six. They beat Maryland, who's no longer in the conference, in the quick lane bowl. They have managed three out of four times to win seven games. They did go three and nine in 2015, which I thought, you know, might create some heat, but uh, Coach Adafi bounced back and the team bounced back. There are questions, at least in my mind, about if they'll be able to, to continue, you know, seven and six, or even more, or if they'll sort of slide back. I will, I mean, gun to my head, I think they might slide back to under 500, but we'll see. When they actually played games in conference, their offense didn't exactly light it up. They averaged... They averaged 12 points per game in ACC competition, and that was, I believe, the bottom of the conference, and only managed to generate 3.3 yards per carry in uh, in league play. So they struggled to run the ball, which is something that Coach, we know Coach Adazio really wants to do. He wants to be a running team. And they do return a lot of people. John Hillman, who was a guy that I had previously been so excited about, a former member of my all-emerging team, who 
didn't exactly bust out, but was reasonably productive, I guess. Uh, Devon Jones shared the load with him. They will have a new quarterback coming in. And obviously they'll be leaning, as I said, on the running game more, so they should see those numbers go up. Usually they're a team that's been built on running game and defense. Uh, obviously Landry is the guy that everybody's been talking about. Some people project him in the first round already. Some people say he would have been in the first round last year. I'm not so certain about that. Matt Milano, John Johnson, Kevin Kabelik, and uh, Truman Gottfell are all moved on. But other than that, they bring back the rest of the defense. Based on the work you do and based on the things you've seen, about whom should someone be excited, if they were going to be excited about someone from that team? Well, I think, well, everybody talks about, of course, Harold Landry, um, who I like. I like Harold Landry. But I don't necessarily think he is, I know it's the time of season for mock drafts to just mock people in the top 10 because you're familiar with the name and mock drafts don't really matter right now, I guess, is the sort of fit which I just kind of go, why why even do mocks right now? Um, But at the same time, I don't necessarily think he is someone who should be mocked as high as he's being mocked because I've seen him like in the top 10, top 15 sort of area. And I do think he's talented. He's a talented player. Um, he's a little light in terms of uh, you know size and stuff like that. But What do you think? He's you about know, 244? What do you think he is now? Somewhere, you know, 245. He might end up being 250 at the Combine, which is not bad. It just isn't, uh, you know, amazing, I guess. You know, the only sort of thing. And again, I think he's solid. I just think that it's, I don't know, I just think the hype with him is going way too high right now. I mean, we'll see what happens when the season starts. But, you know, he's definitely got it from a production standpoint, hits most of the marks that you want. And film-wise, he's solid. He's like neck and neck with Chubb, really, to me. Um, yes. As pass rushers uh, and like Chubb you would only really I mean it depends on what you you want a guy who's like two, 265-ish versus a 250 guy you know that type of thing um, but like he's really the top uh, guy there you know the quarterback they have there in Anthony Brown has some positives from the high school level in terms of his completion percentage and his such and such ratio is listed as a dual threat. But there might be some positives there in terms of him. Potentially, he could be a bright spot at quarterback, which is saying something, you know. Because um, the quarterback position at Boston College has been no bueno, you know, for a while. Yeah, um, right. Correct. Hillman is definitely a, a fun player when he's healthy, but he's almost – Never healthy at this right. point. Uh, but, yeah, I and Tom Tom Sweeney at tight end is another guy who has that full-size tight end kind of appeal to him. You know, he has, you know, big frame. Uh, you know, he's a big 
body kind of tight end type. Uh, so there might be some appeal with that guy, potentially. Uh, not the most productive guy, but then again, people go, oh, he's a blocker, so it doesn't matter if he's productive because he's a blocker. There's a lot of that going around now. Um, it's, uh, with tight ends and NFL level, but yeah, I I don't really know about Boston College. I think if Anthony Brown lives up to what his numbers on paper say, they might end up being a surprise because if you have a quarterback who's at least decent, because he'll be definitely be better than what they had last year, uh, you know, with uh, Matty Ice. Uh, well, not Matty Ice. Patty Ice. Um, Patrick Tolles, you know, uh, who was like, I don't know. That was, that was very weird. Patrick Tolles was a very weird quarterback last year. Um, but, yeah, if, if they improve that, if the quarterback position improves, I think they'll kind of do – uh, you know, something interesting this year. Because, again, they went 7-6 and six last year. Uh, and uh, just saying that out loud, uh, now in conference they, they were 2-6, and six, which is not good. But the fact that they actually went 7-6 and six, um, is very encouraging, I guess, you know, for a program like Boston College. So um, they might do the same thing this year, potentially. But then again, who knows? But they do need to improve conference play, definitely. I mean, that's probably the biggest thing is they, they need to start winning games in conference. But I just don't know. Uh, you know, Steve Adazio and the dudes, guys being dudes, you know, has been cool. But, you know, you, at some point your coach needs to stop being a meme and needs to start, you know, producing, you know, on the field. So, um Right. And maybe that might be this year with Adazio, but so far Adazio has been more like Cliff Kingsbury. Like he's a very interesting coach to watch and listen to, but not necessarily the results on the field aren't exactly matching you know, right. his charisma. And, and, of course, the other big difference is Team Speed. I mean, Kingsbury finds at least three or four guys who can run every year. I'm still waiting, you know, for them to have – a legitimate burner at wide receiver, a legitimate, you know, corner who's a legitimate 4-4 guy. I mean, they seem to struggle to find the guys that Miami finds or the guys that Clemson finds or the guys that Florida State or even guys that you find sometimes in the MAC. I mean, right. turn out to – I mean, they that seems to be every year they play a team that just basically runs past them just on sure. pure team speed on them. But I would say – Somewhat of the issue there is kind of like this. Go to Florida and convince someone from Florida to play in Massachusetts. It's a very hard thing to do um, <laughs> is all I'm trying to say. And the teams who end up doing it are the teams where at least I'm going to get a ring if I do this, you know, like Ohio State or you know, Michigan because Jim Harbaugh is cool. But like, yes, right. Right. but that's, that's true. But that's, but that's the issue in terms of TV is you have to convince people from the Southern hemisphere, uh, you know, <laughs> not really Southern hemisphere, but the Southern United States. But kids from Georgia know, California. on down, right, right. Yeah. California, Texas, yeah. Louisiana. You have to convince those people, hey, you want to, you know, come to Massachusetts? I don't know. 
you know. <laughs> well, <laughs> and, I mean, you know, <laughs> right. I just, yeah, that's all I'm saying. I mean, I'm, I'm, I mean that's that's yeah. kind of, and and also it's to play at Boston College, which, you know, the last time Boston College was, know, was like maybe the eighties. Well, they had a know. run under Jack Bicknell where, of course, they were not, they were, they were in the Big East, but they had a run under Jack Bicknell, Bicknell when, yeah, they were a, they had, they were 10 and 2, 9 and 3. Uh, they might have even gone 11 and 1 one year with Flutie yeah. there. Maybe it was 10 and 2, either 10 and 2 or 11 and 1. But yeah, they had a lot of, piled up a lot of victories in a stretch there. Yeah. I mean, and in the early you know, 2000s, you know, they had a lot of defensive, you know, talent. Even James Franklin was there, too, which I was surprised looking right. at the media guy. Uh, <laughs> like, oh, very sure, young James Franklin. Yep. Future, you know, future most hated quarterback in Penn State uh, sort of thing. Um, <sighs> but, yeah, I mean, yeah, Boston College doesn't have very good team speed. But – I don't know what else to – I mean, there's not a whole lot – I mean, they also are a team that seems to be that run-heavy sort of type of, you know – I don't want – a lot of times when you have these run-heavy teams, they don't always go after speedsters for whatever reason. But um, that's something I've noticed with, like, Michigan State a lot now. They they tend to not really get very fast wide receivers anymore. You know, they just kind of get guys that can block and stuff like that. So um, (laughs) – But yeah, I mean that's definitely something that can or should improve. Will it though? I don't know. And again, the fastest guy they had, John Hillman, of course, like we like we just mentioned, has always been injured. So they just seem to not be very lucky, I guess, in terms of getting team speed or getting team speed finally, and then the guy ends up being injured all the time. Right. Yeah, I mean that that clearly does not help when you're. Trying to deal with uh, with that, and then that, of course, brings us to the other popular, the U. Obviously, this was a, an elite program in the Big East and a good program in the ACC. They haven't been an elite program since they've come to the ACC, but they've been good at times, and then they've been above average, and then they went through a period where they seemed a little slow, lost their way. The general consensus, almost similar to Syracuse, but with more reason to back it up, is that this is a program that's expected to possibly win their half of the ACC and get a chance to maybe even play for the ACC championship. Now, had Brad Kyle returned, I would be more thoroughly convinced of this, but... The early returns on young Mr. Malik Rozier are are genuinely uh, generally positive. We'll see just what he is. Also, we've got Evan Sharif and Nkosi Perry, uh, Cade Weldon, and Jack Allison. I think Jack Allison's the guy that Donovan liked, if memory serves correctly. So we'll have to figure that out. Mark Walton is an early draft Twitter favorite at running back. Stacey Coley, gone, obviously. David Njoku left early. Danny Isadora will be missed. And on defense, uh, they have a few, I don't want to say so-so players to replace, but, I mean, 
not they weren't they weren't world shakers. They weren't guys who you just went, you know, how will they play? I mean, I feel like they probably can replace everybody left on defense without left on defense without too much of a drop off. They do have some young guys like Shaq Quarterman, Michael Pickney, and Zach McLeod who are extremely highly touted, but they're young, but people seem to think they're going to step right in and play well. We'll see how that works out. Uh, Joe Jackson, Chad Thomas, Kendrick Norton are other guys that people are expecting a lot of. But uh, take me, based on the work you do, take me through the guys that you feel are the, you know, the most prominent and promising prospects that they have down at Miami. Well, I wouldn't necessarily say the U is back. Uh, <laughs> or whatever that term actually means. The, I think the U will probably never well, it will be back, but it you know, it won't be what it used to be, I guess, is the sort of thing. Uh, and I don't really think that the whole thing of, you know, last year when they ended the game, they're like, We left the U better than we found it or something like that. Like, okay. Yeah, we've heard we've heard things said to that that but yeah, yeah, a lot. Which is I don't understand what you mean by that left it better than you found it kind of I mean, that's what a coach would say. You're a player, you know. Um, <laughs> right, yeah. You know, like how much is you like, you know, like the influence will forever be felt by this point. Maybe. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, I offensively, they do have lots of fun things. You know, Mark Walton, I think, is a fun running back. Amon Richards is a fun wide receiver. Uh, you know, Lawrence Cager is kind of their big giant wide receiver type of uh, thing. Kelvin Benjamin, right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Christopher Herndon is the other tight end that's there uh, in terms of, you know, what they want to do. Defensively, I'm not so sure about their defense. Uh, They have a lot of young players. That doesn't necessarily mean that they're very good. You You know, being young doesn't necessarily mean you know, unless you're good and you're young, which they don't really have a ton of that right now. <laughs> that is what um, you want. You want both. Yes. <laughs> and they just have young. They don't necessarily have very good. Chad Thomas at defensive end, which I've been trying to tell people is, you know, everybody's on this Sam Hubbard train, you know, sort of thing right now. And I'm not saying Chad Thomas is necessarily as good or like so much better than Sam Hubbard, but I do think that you're getting some of the same guy. You know, you're getting this kind of big, you know, 6'4", 6'5", 265-ish uh, athlete, but that's really about it is what you're getting, you know, kind of very raw uh, kind of guy. He flashes a lot on film is the biggest thing with him. But I do think that he would be sort of the guy to look to possibly break out this year. If he doesn't break out, then – he doesn't break out, but he would be like the the main defensive guy that I'll be at least hoping breaks out, kind of like Hubbard. And I think they're kind of of equal footing on paper, at least. They're very similar in terms of their production and their sort of physical, you know, prowess, I guess. And at least right now, I don't have to pay top 10 price for Chad Thomas, you know. Like that's the other sort of, I can pay a day three sort of thing right now for Chad Thomas, you know, uh, versus Sam Hubbard, who's 
routinely going top ten. So, and I think they're very interest. You know, the very same type of guy in terms of athleticism and you know, what they look like on film. Got it. Got it. And Virginia Tech is another sort of dark horse. Now, once again, they're another team that sort of unexpectedly lost a quarterback that had he returned, no offense to Miami, but I think had they brought back their quarterback, Gerard Evans, I think I might have been leaning towards Virginia Tech to win this half of the conference. But he did not return. Uh, also, Augie Conti and Jonathan McLaughlin from their offensive line. Uh, I've moved on to Ekenum, Woody Barron, and Chuck Clark. But, and of course, Bucky Hodges declared early. Isaiah Ford also declared early. They do have Cam Phillips returning and, you know, some sort of injury-plagued members of their defense hopefully will stay healthy. But walk me through the players that appeal to you most from a, a metrical land, of course, you know, I guess, film as well standpoint based on the work that you do. Hmm. Well, I do like Cam Phillips. Okay. Um, he was – he's not as good as Isaiah Ford. He's better than Bucky Hodges, though. But then again, you could say that about a lot of people, uh, <laughs> you know, in terms of, you know, rut running prowess and even as a blocker, you know, pretty much everything was superior to Bucky Hodges. So um, I think featuring him a little bit more might be a good idea. I guess, in terms of the team. Uh, Wyatt Teller is one of the offensive linemen there that I think stuck out a bit when I remember watching them on film. Uh, Brandon, uh, I think Faisy's on? Faisy. Yeah, Faisy is a corner that I remember and I liked a decent a bit. They also had a linebacker there that based on the, his production profile was decent. That was Andrew uh, Matua Puaka, I think. Mm-hmm. That. Yep. Um, who's who's there as well? Uh, and of course, they have a very young quarterback who I don't yeah. really know much about. But well, no one does really. <laughs> but yes, I mean, he's with the but I am excited. But I am excited. I am excited just because Virginia Tech was one of those teams that caught me by surprise last year, of course, like everybody else, uh, you know, where you had a quarterback that you're like, nah, you know, and then you finally got to see him and you're like, oh, this guy's not too bad. You know, like they had a lot of things going for him. I still think uh, there's still a lot of stuff there. Like I think defensively there's a lot of things that are still there. I think offensively they still have, uh, some wide receivers and stuff like that. So uh, it'll be very interesting, to say the least. But I think Virginia Tech, even though they did lose a bunch of stuff, uh, you know, Isaiah Ford and, you know, a bunch, you know, and uh, nah, Becky Hodges is much of a loss. But they, <laughs> they, they did lose some things. But I, I still think that there is a chance that they could, in that, in the AC, in that particular division, right. that part of the ACC, there's still there's not there's not really a lot of established teams here, you know. Right. Everybody's exactly. in the limbo. right path of the ACC. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So like all those teams are in limbo anyway. So 
So I, I still think there's a chance they could still end up being the top uh, team in that part of the conference if Josh Jackson, you know, ends up surprising, you know, in terms of being a young guy, you know, that played well. So. Right. And there's a chance that, that might happen. And once again, you know, this is how Fuente has made his reputation as a guy who can get quarterbacks sometimes to exceed expectations and to get ready to play sooner than one might have originally assumed or guessed that they might be able to be ready. So, like I said, we'll get a chance to test his, you know, quarterback guruing or guruing or whatever you want to call it, how, how much of a guru he truly is because, yes, he's going to whoever is out there and whatever guy ends up being the, the guy at quarterback is going to be a guy that wasn't the guy recent collegiate level ever before. So that brings us now to a thinking question of a hot seat, or at least warm seat, uh, Georgia Tech. And they had a very poor 2015 and 2016 if it didn't get the coach all the way off the, the hot seat, it probably at least, you know, got the, you know, got the, maybe didn't, maybe the villagers didn't completely throw away the pitchforks, but at least he blew out their torches. And I mean, obviously another bad year would probably make them, you know, locate, relocate their, their torches. And, uh, you know, like I said, they probably didn't fully throw away the pitchforks, but taking a look at, Georgia Tech. Uh, I mean, Justin Thomas is gone, and he, you know, at times was impressive for what you want from the quarterback position in that system. Uh, the term quarterback, I mean, running back by committee is sort of meaningless because of what they do, but I guess the most impressive part of their their team, the way it, was, the way it works, um, their second leading rusher, Marcus Marshall, transferred. So Dedrick Mills, I mean, not that they're going to have a featured running back, but Dedrick Mills was the guy that impressed me the most, and he's still there, most running backs at least. Uh, they did lose quarterback, quarterback, not quarterback, um, center, Freddie Burden, their, their, I guess we'll say quarterback of their offensive line, moves on. Um, Trey Clock and Eason Formoyan decided not to return, though they each had a year of eligibility left. Uh, P.J. Davis, Patrick Gamble, and Francis Kalen are all graduates, and so those guys are gone. But they bring back pretty much the rest of the team. Now, I know, obviously, because of just the sheer difference between what Georgia Tech does on offense and what almost everybody else, with exception of the Naval Academy, Army, Air Force, and basically the military academies, and New Mexico State, University, no, it's in New Mexico, not in Mexico State, Mexico, um, are amongst the few true triple option teams left in uh, FBS football. But I guess Georgia Southern? Yes, in Georgia Southern. But uh, take me through it. Uh, who who should, if I were, you know, someone who was interested in that that particular program, who are the guys that we should you know, walk away for the season to remember. Ah, man. Um, 
I mean, there are guys that are there. I'm just not very excited about them. I mean, I like them. That's you fair. know, the wide receiver position, Ricky June, he's been there forever. Yeah. And Georgia Tech seems to be – it's it's one of those programs at wide receiver where they had that run where, you know, they had Calvin Johnson and then they had even Demarius Thomas. Yeah, Demarius Thomas, yeah. And then people were like, hey – they're producing these big athletic wide receivers. Who's going to be the next one? You know, and and then San Francisco, you know, drafted, uh, I think, DeAndre. Uh, oh, uh, um, uh, I know exactly what you're talking about. Uh, hold on. Melter. Uh, yeah. Melter, yeah. Yeah, and they drafted that guy thinking, oh, he's going to be the next one. And he wasn't. And then Ricky June. Ricky June has starter level production market share wise but I've seen the film I don't like them that much so it's now some of it's because of the offense and also the quarterback I don't know we get into this whole sort of thing of well you know if a wide receiver isn't productive we always blame the quarterback well Quan Treadwell wasn't productive because Bo Wallace was his quarterback you know stuff like that Um, (laughs) but I just don't buy that. I just think it's a really dumb excuse um, overall. You know, if you're a good wide receiver, you're going to produce regardless. Uh, you know, and I just, I mean, offensive line-wise, it is a different, you know, again, it's a di- it's a different type of thing. But I just think I didn't, re- I wasn't really impressed with most offensive linemen that I saw. I think some of them even quit and joined NASCAR. I don't remember that. Well, story like that. yes, you're correct. They had, some players who had collegiate eligibility left become members of, of a NASCAR pit crew. That is correct. That did happen. Exactly. You remember correctly. <laughs> so, so that happened, uh, you know, because uh, obviously they're like, oh, the NFL would never like it. Uh, defensively, though, I do think there's stuff there. Antonio Simmons was a type of flashy pass rusher guy. He didn't really do much, but it's flashy. Uh, Lance Austin at cornerback was at least decent. He reminded me of a lot of previous Georgia Tech cornerbacks that were decent uh, who got drafted day three-ish in the past. I think Lance Austin might be another one of those guys who get drafted for day three. But overall, it's just not a very good thing. And the quarterback position, see, that's the funny thing, Bill, is and everybody goes well, triple option, and they they treat it as, as an excuse for the quarterback to be a bad passer. And I just don't agree with that, you know, right. mentality. I just think it's really dumb to have the mentality. Well, it's triple options, and they have to be they have to be good passers. Um, when no, you're just, you're you're just not very good at finding quarterbacks. You know, just because it's a triple option attack doesn't mean that you should be okay with having what they had at quarterback which was not good. Um, and if that improves, the team will improve. But it's funny to say that a triple option attack will be better. Because it's like anything else. I mean, a triple option attack a triple option attack that has a good quarterback is going to be a very good offense regardless of if it's triple option or not. You know, um, be, being able to execute that offense uh, is, you know, it's, it's like anything else. So I just feel like if that gets fixed, the quarterback position gets fixed. If they get a quarterback that actually can throw, 
accurate footballs down the field, you know, uh, as well, then that'll open up a lot of things with that offense. But if they don't, they'll just keep being that team that everybody hates to play, you know, because they get cut block all the time. Um, but they can still beat them, you know. It's just that it's just it makes it uh, it makes a it's sort of a game on the schedule that you just loathe. Like you know you're gonna win, but you just know that it's gonna be annoying. <laughs> and unfortunately, I just think it's kind of. Um, it's kind of just a sad situation, I guess. But maybe they'll be better this year. But, again, it all comes down to the quarterback. Now, I think defensively they have some things, like I said. But I just don't necessarily think that there's a ton of good things. So there's a lot of uh, hope. I hope they get better is all I'm trying to say, guys. I hope they get better. But I don't necessarily think they're going to get better. Got it. Yeah, that's like I said. I think we may see, you know, the coach back on the hot seat uh, sooner rather than later. And even if they decide to stick with running the offense, they're running. You know, some people will want to call for guys like Ken Niamatololo, uh, who of course comes directly from his coaching tree. But we'll see what happens. And some people want to go away from triple option altogether and bring in, you know, somebody who runs something else. So here's another program surrounded by uh, sort of a glow coming off of last year, Pitt. Uh, the Pitt program had was another program that sort of lost its way. Pat Narduzzi gets a lot of credit for seeming to have righted the ship. They've been eight and five in back-to-back seasons, which, you know, in the old days at Pitt would have been, you know, <laughs> an absolute blot on their honor and you know they were drenched in shame back in the you know Jackie Sherrill and and uh, you know days prior even uh, when you know, Johnny Majors and all the other guys have gone back to when Pitt was an absolute national powerhouse in the old days but like but obviously those days have sort of gone so you know Pitt was an independent and really only competed with Penn State to some extent for primacy in bringing in players from that area. I mean, essentially any player from the state of Pennsylvania, to some extent Delaware, and even you know some of the certain surrounding areas of other states were essentially just choosing at one point between Pitt and Penn State. And, you know, they built, yeah, like I said, a great program. But the good news uh, if you're looking for good news, they clearly lose, obviously, both uh, Nathan Peterman and Adam Biznawati and, of course, Dorian Johnson off of their offense. James Conner left a year early. Max Brown, yes, that Max Brown, uh, is someone who is in the the mix for the quarterback position. Also, they bring in uh, Matt Canada to run their offense, who is considered a you know a bright uh, mind, a right offensive mind. They do have uh, Kadri Allison, who is a running back that I've liked in what I've seen in semi-limited duty. And, of course, obviously, he thrived a bit when Connor was hurt in the past. Darren Hall and Shantez Moss also are in the in the mix. Uh, Kadri Henderson, not to be confused with Kadri Allison, um, is 
probably going to be one of their leading receiving targets. And their offense, obviously, needs to – will probably be more run-centered than it has been recently, but they'll need to hold the fort a little bit. And they do lose – well, not a lot, frankly, on defense. And they're gaining back Jordan Whitehead. Well, if they're gaining back, I mean, he missed the, the last quarter or so of the season due to an injury. But take me through this team, and who do you – who do you love, you know, to some extent, or at least who do you like, or and why? Yeah, I think, uh, I mean, my favorite player on the team is Brian O'Neill at left tackle, who was right tackle last year. Um, he was kind of a fun you know, offensive lineman to watch. Was particularly good in terms of getting out in space and, and getting line, you know, hat on the hat. Uh, Padre Olison too at running back I felt was another fun player uh, Chester Way is a solid wide receiver I don't really think he's amazing there's not a lot of Chester Way hype which I think is I mean I think he's a solid wide receiver but I just think people are a little way too high I guess on uh, on him because he's a, you know he's a big body wide receiver but he's really slow. Well, um, right. Like a slower version of, uh, 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 you know, Eta Tawu. I mean, he's like that, but not able to run fast. He's, he's a guy who makes some body control plays and, you know, has decent hands, but he can definitely be exposed against people who can actually really cover in man, which I guess there's not that many. So maybe that's why he, you know, but I mean, watch how he and MJ Stewart you know, look look at throw that pit game back on, and MJ Stewart had a pretty good game against him. Well, MJ Stewart's a pretty good quarterback, uh, but right, true. We'll, we'll get we'll get to that when we get to that. But I just I just think with Jester way again way too high. So I I just I just just right now, I, even though he's seen as a day three guy, I just think it's a little too high. Um, terms of stuff. Alex Officer is another guy is the guard there that I, I remember um, and he was pretty decent. Uh, defensively speaking, I do like Whitehead but he's another guy that I think is a little too high in terms of, uh, like there's people who, put, who are putting like day two sort of range or even like day one range. Like oh, one wow. Like late first round was I think one mock I saw. Um, oh wow! I don't get it, but like I I do like him. Uh, I just don't, you know. I like him. I don't love him. You know, it's like it's that sort of thing. Uh, Avante Maddox is another uh, another corner that I think is a pretty solid guy. His only issue will probably be speed. Uh, with well, probably the only big sort of question mark in terms of like how fast he runs will kind of determine a lot. But I do think he's a pretty smart, aggressive uh, corner. He just isn't very fast. So he's kind of limited to a zone sort of scheme. Um, PFF might like him though. So I don't know, maybe. But, uh, but yeah, I... I think it's solid. I like most of the people on the offensive line mainly. 
like I said, Brian O'Neill is probably my favorite prospect on the team. Uh, and Max Brown will be interesting. Max Brown has been everywhere, man. Um, yep. He couldn't beat out Cody Kessler. Nope. He couldn't beat out Sam Darnold. Nope. Now he's a pit. So, and was he, um, so that, where was it? I'm sure where he was. It was somewhere where he was somewhere briefly. Um, I can't remember if it was Hawaii or somewhere else in the Pac-12. Oh, that was you, Max Wittick. Oh, that's right. Sorry. You're right. Good that, was point. Another, okay. that was another Max. Um, yes. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, Max Brown, I just can't get the Alabama game out of my mind. And even though it's Alabama and their offensive line was really bad, I just felt like Darnold might have give, given them a better chance, you know, a slightly better chance if, just because Darnold seemed to be – really good in terms of, you know, completing accurate passes against pressure uh, in his face in particular. Um, while Brown just didn't, he didn't like it as most quarterbacks don't, don't like pressure. But, uh, you know, I I don't know. I don't know how he's going to turn out uh, in terms of Max Brown. I, I hope he's decent, uh, or at least maybe puts up a Nate Peterman-like in fact, that'd be kind of weird if he did another Nate Peterman type of thing. Because apparently Pittsburgh runs the NFL offense. Apparently. I don't know if you knew this. Um, I mean, but what people mean by that is they run a decent number of plays from under center, and they have a tight end, and even occasionally a fullback on the field. That's, yeah. I think, the thing. <laughs> but that doesn't mean that stuff on the field, that doesn't mean the concept, whatever. Um, I mean, exactly. you know, now we have to say Jake Browning runs the NFL because I thought Jake Browning understood her a lot more than a lot of other quarterbacks. Um, yeah, but again, Pittsburgh, I think, you know what? I think Pittsburgh will probably have the same sort of season this year, maybe take a step back a bit, but not too much. Like, I think they'll get to a bowl game at least. I think. There is a chance that they could regress, but I do think there's there's still enough things on offense and on defense that they could still muster out a you know a 500 season for them, which for Pittsburgh is staying a lot. So I, I think that's probably the best sort of case for them. Right. Yes. In the, the current version of Pitt, yeah, that's that's considered decent work. Now, here's another one of those mystery programs. Uh, could win five games, could win ten games. Oh, Carolina, like the girl with the curl. Um, they will – you'll see them go on a two- or three-game stretch where they look like they are one of the top 15 teams in the country, and then they'll go on a two- or three-game stretch where they look like not even one of the top five teams in the ACC. Uh, obviously, it's – one-year starter, Mitchell, Mitchell Trubisky, has moved on. Elijah Hood declared early. And, you know, terms like rebuilding year have been bandied about. Uh, at one point, it was rumored that they were in the Malik Veers uh, sweepstakes, which may or may not have ever been true. They do have Chaz Surratt and, Rich and uh, Logan Bird, both of whom are redshirt fresh persons on campus. Uh, Nathan Elliott was 
the guy who played a teeny tiny bit in mop-up duty last year, even less than Trubisky played when he was in mop-up duty behind Marquis Williams. So, you know, I don't know how much you care about spring games, but other than that, there's not much else to go on with Nathan Elliott. Uh, let's see. They lost a lot of wide receivers, a bunch. Bug Howard, uh, of course, Brian Switzer, and um, the other guy. Oh, um, Matt Collins, who unfortunately missed most of the season anyway with injury anyway. Um, Lucas Crowley, Caleb Peterson, John Heck are all in NFL camps. And, of course, Mezier Jones declared early. Uh, so, you know, this was, they have some legitimate holes to fill. So walk me through it. Uh, who are some of the players that are worth note and why at uh, Chapel Hill? Well, offensively, like everybody's gone, uh, except for hmm. Bentley Span at tackle. Uh, I feel like he's a guy – I don't really think he's going to be like – top tackle in the class, but I do think that there's a chance he could uh, end up being a, a starter if he gets a little stronger, uh, which is kind of a big thing. But I do think that there were some positives uh, with him um, from last year uh, on film. Uh, defensively, MJ Stewart is the cornerback there that I think has probably the best chance to get drafted from the defense. Uh, I felt like he was a pretty solid overall player uh, in terms of coverage and, you know, tackling and kind of everything um, for the most part. But honestly, I am kind of like you. I don't, I don't know about North Carolina as, as a team. Uh, I do think that, uh, you know, coaching-wise, they have, you know, the coaching has gone up, I would, I would say, um, you know, in terms of, you know, what they had and what they're working with, you know, the, the coaching has increased to the point where even though they may not have, like, the best on ever, they're at least, you know, getting a lot of stuff out of what they have. Um, losing Mitchell Trubisky is a bit uh, – I don't know. Mitchell Trubisky was just odd in general. Very odd thing to happen at North Carolina to have – this guy kind of fall out of the sky sort of, or, you know, a guy that's been on the team for a while steps in and ends up producing better than the guy that was starting in front of him, you know, um, for a while. So that's, that's always kind of interesting, but, um, but yeah, I'm, I'm not really sure about the program. I, again, I do like Bentley Span. I do like MJ Stewart, but other than that, I just don't really have a great idea in terms of how well they'll do this year. If they'll be, a five-win team or a ten-win team, like you said, because it can kind of sway either way. Yeah, they are. To me, one of the most mysterious teams, not even the congressman, the whole nation in terms of just what they'll be. And if they do have a great season, it will be one of those, you know, resume years. Not that I'm suggesting that, that Coach Fedora is looking for in the next spot, but he will put himself on the list, you know, where people start bandying about your name, if he manages to take this team, you know, a team, frankly, where there's not a lot of great expectations, except maybe by, you know, rabid target fans, but other than that, this is not a team where nationally there's a lot of expectations that they'll do extremely well, so if he, if he does manage to have the, 
know, second best team in this half of the conference and, you know, they're a nine, ten win team, then yes. You know, like I said, you can expect to hear people start to mention the name, you know, hey, you know, look what Coach Fedora did, you know, at a school that has some, you know, football tradition, but not exactly a, you know, lighted up football tradition. And they certainly had more consistency under him than they had under, you know, Bush Davis or, you know, uh, John Bunning or, you have to go back a ways, probably to the Matt Brown days, maybe, to um, define the, the the being, you know, consistently competitive like like this, 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 you know, year in, year out. And eight miles, slightly to the east and slightly to the south, we find Duke, a team that has had a, four, a run of four consecutive bowl games, which isn't a big deal a lot of places, but it's a big deal to do. But unfortunately, it still took a step back last year to four and eight. The first losing team since 2012, Coach Cutcliffe, is a guy that doesn't seem to be down long as a coach. Uh, they were very young last year on offense. They're still pretty young last year on offense. Uh, they bring back most of the top receivers. They bring back Sean Wilson, their best running back. They bring back quarterback Daniel Jones, who's not exactly a world beater, but Ish. Uh, they did lose Casey Blazer and Tanner Stone. Tanner Stone sounds like he should be starring on someone's soap opera, but they did lose him from their offensive line. Uh, their defense didn't lose a lot, but the um, – well, I mean, they did lose my guy, Breon Borders, who I really like. They did lose DeAndre Singleton and Corbin McCarthy. But most of the defense returns, but that may not be good news. That defense was not good at all. Uh, they were one of the worst defenses back in the, in the country last year. But uh, take us through it, Jim. Uh, the players that you have circled and why. Hmm. Well, Jonathan Lloyd at wide receiver uh, was okay. Um, decent. Kind of best term I can use. Uh, defensively, I do agree. They had a lot of their their a lot of their depth chart. They list like three different safeties. You know, they really are pushing for that like edge safety kind of thing. Um, I don't necessarily know how well that's working out, but it doesn't seem to be. Uh, but yeah, I think and also linebacker wise, I mean Ben Humphreys and Joe Giles Harris. But you guys, from a production standpoint, has some positives. But film-wise, I wasn't as enthused with them. Um, but overall, I'm just not really sure about Duke. I know it's it's one of those things where if you say that, then bad things are gonna happen. Uh, but I, I, you know, I really don't know in terms of uh, the team this year. Uh, they don't really have a ton of established things on defense or offense right now um, to really get too excited about. But uh, they are Duke. Uh, so that's, you know, Cutcliffe is still there. But I, I just kind of uh, – I'm, I'm curious as to what happens this year because I don't really see a lot of established things so far. Right. And 
back to my home state and to a troubled program um, that, that did not come out of the woods immediately, obviously. Uh, Bronco Mendenhall came in, and he himself said he was shocked. He used the term shocked uh, with the level of talent he found. And it was, he didn't mean it in a good way. He, <laughs> I mean, he just admitted that he didn't understand exactly what he was getting himself into. Uh, I don't know how that made the, the players that he found feel uh, when, he, when he said that, but he was very honest about it. He made it very clear that he had a much higher level of talent on his BYU team than he found when he got to Virginia. They were 2-10. and ten. They did beat Duke, and they were close. They were in, the, in it uh, all the way to the end with both Wake Forest and Louisville. So those are the glimmers of hope, I suppose. They bring back uh, Kurt Finkert, Donnie Dowling, Olamade Zekius. Uh, they do lose Smoke Mizell. And they do bring back both Micah Kaiser and Quinn Blanding. Uh, as you know, I'm a big Quinn Blanding fan. Micah Kaiser is a guy that's developing some draft Twitter buzz. Uh, and Andrew Brown is back also. So the coverage isn't fair, but it's sparse. So tell me, uh, based on what you do and, and what you're expecting, who are the players that are of interest to you? Well, it's mostly on defense. Um, you know, Micah Kaiser, I think, is a pretty solid linebacker. He's someone that, if he had come out in this year, I would have had as a day two, day three kind of uh, prospect. Um, Quinn Blanding. I mean, I like Quinn Blanding. I just have issues in terms of uh, uh, on film. He's not the most flexible guy um, in terms of kind of kind of lowering his hips when he meets contact consistently. Um, that, that was the only sort of thing that kind of worried me a bit was just in terms of hip flexibility and kind of pad level at times. Um, and the other guy I really like is Andrew Brown. Uh, he's the defensive uh, – he's sort of like a 3-4 defensive end slash, you know, well, that's kind of what he is. But he, he was someone that I, I saw a lot of decent pass rush ability out of. Um, and, you know, from the a couple games I saw of him, he was pretty impressive as well. But on offense, I just don't really see a ton of stuff. And I just – I mean, defensively, there's a lot of stuff, like I said. I think there's a lot of decent sort of established guys there. But offensively, I'm just at a loss. Because uh, Smoke Mizell was like the only thing that kind of worked really well, you know. Uh, and before that, it was like, you know, Cannon's uh, Severine, you know, who had a couple of really big games and then kind of disappeared uh, a bit. Um, so I I really don't know how they're going to do on offense. But defensively, I think their defense at least will have uh, – will be uh, – there will be enough things to kind of watch their defense. But offensively, I'm just not really sure right now about their team. Yeah. Their offense is likely to struggle mightily. When you don't throw the ball particularly well, 
and your offensive line doesn't create a lot of running room, and your quarterback is average, maybe like maybe this year he'll improve and become slightly above average. Your receivers don't create a lot of separation. Uh, yeah, there's a lot of reasons to be worried about that offense. Uh, I think it's what I think would be accurate to state. There's, there's a lot of question marks on that offense. Uh, more, many more questions than answers. I think one could one could say pretty pretty safely. So in terms of, I mean, you sort of mentioned some of these already, but in terms, you always use the term sleeper or whatever, but amongst the guys that maybe aren't getting a lot of attention, you may have mentioned some of these before, but if there's any others that you might have missed, who, if any, that you may not have mentioned already, or even some you may have mentioned, who are the players that aren't yet getting, you know, buzz? I mean, guys that people aren't already putting in the top three of their, you know, extremely early, what the heck are we doing here, why are we doing this super early uh, mock draft kind of stuff. Who are some of the guys that aren't in those yet that you think, you know, will make maybe make their mark this year? Uh, you mean uh, in college football in general? Oh, well, for the moment we're sticking with the ACC. Is there anybody else that you Right, right, of? ACC. Um, I mean, Andrew Brown definitely. Um, is is that guy that I'm I'm surprised not more people are talking about him. I'll just say that much. Um, Do you think the I think tweener fact? Do you think the tweener factor is what's keeping him? Yeah, a bit. Or but the Virginia factor that's doing. He's a tweener, but yes. at this point, I really don't care anymore. I mean, I just you know we're we're in a new place now, Bill. A new a new sort of uh, we're in a new world, new world order, you know, where nose tackles, 340 pounds, 330 pound nose tackles are non-existent. Uh, linebackers are now 220 pounds to 215 pounds. Uh, like we're in a new, we're in a new place. So I, as far as a tweener guy, yeah, I guess. You could say that, but I'm just looking at what they did in that defense. Um, and, yeah, he was a tweener, but he was able to produce uh, fairly decently in terms of rushing the passer, getting the running back on the ground. Um, so I would not be surprised if – or I'm very surprised, actually, in terms of why not more people are talking about Andrew Brown. Uh, you know, people talk about Quinn Blanding a lot. People talk about Micah Kaiser a lot. People don't talk yeah. about Andrew Brown. No. Who might have been the best prospect of the three? What's all Could be. Yeah, potentially, yeah. So that that's definitely one of those sort of what the heck sort of things. Uh, like right. like Chad Thomas at Miami. My I, I I don't think he's amazing, but again, I'm just sort of like everybody Sam Hubbard Sam Hubbard type of thing, and I'm like, what about Chad Thomas? Yeah, I, I, I just feel like they're very similar in terms of what they do. So I, I that's why I kind of view them as a sleeper. 
if he breaks out this year. If he doesn't break out this year, he doesn't break out this year. But he is someone that I think on film has a lot of flashes. Um, it's just a matter of him becoming, you know, a much more productive player uh, overall, which is like everybody pretty much. Um, and Brian O'Neill from Pittsburgh is a guy that I don't really hear a ton of stuff about. So I, I would consider him a sleeper. Yeah, I would agree with uh, and you. Uh, MJ Stewart. MJ Stewart at North Carolina at cornerback. Yep. yep. Another guy that I would I would consider a sleeper because nobody right. talks about him. John Alexander and, of course, McFadden get all the, the love amongst ACC corners. I don't think there's a huge gap between he, at least in my opinion, between he and MJ Stewart, between those two and MJ Stewart. Exactly. Um, and quarterback-wise, I, you know, the quarterback, that, again, the quarterback at Boston College and the quarterback at Virginia Tech, um, based on the data, there's potential. That's all I really say. They could, you know, potentially be interesting. So uh, I wouldn't necessarily say they're draftable because they're retro freshmen. Uh, but I do think that one out of the two could hit. And I think that would be pretty cool if, you know, if a Boston College quarterback was good for once. Yeah. And if a Virginia Tech quarterback was good for once. So, you know, I think either either one of those would be uh, sort of a fun um, situation because uh, at least right now, looking at, like, just the quarterback situation in the ACC, uh, there's not a lot of uh, – if you're talking NFL quarterbacks, there's not a ton of that. Just based on the high school production and based on um, what they did in college, there's not a ton of potential breakout candidate-type stuff to where, like, even if they did break out, they would be, like, in the Connor Cook sort of thing or Blaine Gabbert sort of thing. You know, like, it's not a very good place to be, I guess, based on high school production sort of stuff. But um, but those other guys, there is some positives. So, you know, Josh Jackson and uh, uh, the other sort of quarterback at uh, Boston College. So that that would be the only sort of other guys I would say. Is it would be interesting if that boss if the Boston College quarterback or the Virginia Tech quarterback ends up having a fairly decent season, uh, which which would be fun to see. Right, and it's interesting to note the ACC has almost everyone's universally, you know, top two pass rushing prospects in, you know, Chubb and, and Landry. Most people have them either Landry, Chubb, and a few people Chubb, Landry, but it's interesting to note that both those guys, you know, they aren't guys from, you know, the SEC. Or the SEC. Yes, yeah. or the SEC. Or the PAC, you know, the uh, you know, Pac-12 or any of that. It, yeah. so it's interesting to know that both those guys are, and and even from sort of the non, you know, sort of usual suspect ACC schools. They aren't from Florida State. They aren't from uh, Clemson. Now, I'm sure at some point, whether it be Josh Sweat or someone else, some Florida State and some Clemson pass rusher type will start getting hype uh, probably sooner rather than later. But it's nice to see those two initially have the stage themselves. 
Yeah. So if I were to ask of you sort of the top ten prospects from the conference, it sounds like not in any particular order, but it sounds like they would include the aforementioned Chubb Landry, uh, J.R. Alexander, uh, I guess possibly M.J. Stewart. Um, I guess you'll let me know where he would sort of fall in that. Well, yeah, um, it would be – okay, if you – okay, well, let me – you say 10. So yeah. Florida State would have Cam Akers, Baker, Fadden, okay. uh, Duran James. Right. Derek Nandi is kind of in there. Uh, and Clemson, Clemson would have probably Christian Wilkins. So we'll, we'll see. Right. We'll see if he makes a cut, but he but he's definitely there. Okay. Um, MJ Stewart, yeah, MJ Stewart, Jerry Alexander, uh, Brian O'Neill. Let me see other other. The other teams in the conference. Um, yes. Chubb, Landry, and I'm okay with that. So I would say okay. I would I, I would drop Christian Wilkins and put Andrew Brown from Virginia. Gotcha. So, but that would be the ten. Okay, I can look at that. I can look at that, that grouping. <laughs> uh, okay, got it. And in terms of first-round type, of the ACC prospects we've discussed, and if there's some, I don't think there's any we missed, at least that you think might have a shot, but who, who are the guys that you think are possible first-rounders from, from that conference? Well, obviously at Florida State, Duran James, you know, obviously first rounder. Um, McFadden will be a first rounder, but I don't necessarily think he'll be a top ten cornerback. That keeps happening. I'm surprised at the level of really highly drafted cornerbacks that are not top, like top top ten talent at cornerback is a very specific thing to me, and we haven't had something like that in a while. Um, like the closest is like Jalen Ramsey, but even he had lots of warts and issues, you know, um, right. kind of blemishes that kind of made him less than, you know, like Patrick Peterson and whatever. Um, right. yeah, but McFadden at least has enough sort of, you know, he has, he looks the part and he, he did produce, I mean, eight interceptions is nothing to sneeze at, you know, uh, that's a lot. Uh, and he has the length and other sort of stuff. So, I, but I wouldn't necessarily say he's going to be elite. You know, he has to he has to prove to me at least in terms of tackling prowess and kind of raising you know stuff like that up a bit. Uh, you know, supporting the run game uh, in particular. But I think he definitely has a shot at Clemson. I think Wilkins has a good chance at, at Clemson to be a first rounder potentially, like a late first rounder. Uh, at Louisville, I think Jari Alexander has the potential to be a, a late first-round cornerback. North Carolina State, I think Chubb and Landry both have a shot to be first-rounders, but late first-rounders. 
there's a very good chance that they could just end up being day two uh, selections. But um, but I think there is a chance that both of those guys could be sort of late day, late uh, day one sort of guys. Um, and then who else could be? Uh, and then Andrew Brown could be well, that a late first-rounder, potentially. You know, if he has the type of season that I think uh, he can have. Um, that's a good name. And that's a name I think, once again, I think we'll see some people, maybe it's after the senior bowl or whatever, he's one of the guys who can get a bump at some point. And all of a sudden you're going to, you know, he'll be discovered or however you put it and we'll you suddenly start hearing his, his well, People name. will start watching tape, you know. Right, and that too. I guess. That too. Because a lot, a lot of not watching tape, a lot of people being discovered in February instead of October <laughs> or September. Um, you know, stuff like that. But it's sad to say, but it's true. Uh, but, yeah. Yes, right. Once again, I mean, I think that's part of what people mean about the quote-unquote senior bowl bump. I think if you're really familiar with a guy, you're going to be less influenced by what he does or doesn't do at the senior bowl if you've been watching him all, you know, the whole season. It's like, oh, yeah, that's, you know, what he is. Or that isn't what he is. He's the guy The guy he's destroying well, in senior bowl. Isn't the you'll catch the Josh Dobbses. You know, you'll catch oh. the Josh Dobbses and the Nate Petermans. You won't, you know. You'll yeah. prevent disasters like that, you know, yes. situations like that. Yes, well, yes. Right. Yeah, I think that's, like I said, one of the big things about that situation is if you, if you have a better sense of who that player is going in, you won't be unduly influenced by, you know, once again, to paraphrase, oh, and, you know, recent birthday boy, Alan Iverson, but, uh, We'll be so influenced by practice. Talking about practice. Not a game. Not a game. Not a game. Practice. But it's important. I mean, I do think that there is a real value to, you know, the senior bowl and senior bowl practices. But that value is more clear if you had a really good sampling and a really good sense of who that player is already as opposed to sort of you know, finding who that player is or thinking you're finding who that player is through the, um, you know, who, like I said, you said, basically discovering that player in, in the senior ball. Okay. Um, I don't want to say I'm predicting a down year exactly for the ACC. I mean, I think I'm, what I'm predicting is I think the ACC will be a little more tightly packed. I don't think there'll be sort of a, in years past, it says that here's these, you know, here's Clemson, here's Florida State, way up here. And obviously, Florida State will probably still be very, very good. I think Clemson will come back to the pack a little bit. Uh, I think some of the other teams will come back to the pack. I think some other teams will be much better than they've been in re- a recent vintage. I think you're going to see some improvement. And as I said previously, Carolina's going to be a mystery team, as is their usual sort of modus operandi. Uh, I think there'll be probably two improved teams. I think 
Syracuse will improve, but not as much as they think they're improved. I think NC State may take a little bit of a step back, but not a huge one. It'll still be reasonably competitive. Boston College is another great question mark team. Uh, uh, there's, I mean, Virginia is another huge question mark team. I think they'll be, I mean, I think they'll be two and ten again, but three and nine, four and eight isn't out of the cards to me. Virginia Tech's another real wild card. Um, could be one of the top three or four teams in the conference, and they could be one of the, well, not one of the bottom four, too, but but they could be right in the middle of the pack. Georgia Tech always is, I mean, they're another volatile, you know, <laughs> kind of team. But, I mean, just in terms of your mind, how do you see the conference shaking out this year? I think they'll, I think they'll take a step back, but I don't think it'll be a huge – I just think that there'll be a, a transfer of uh, of, uh, of power, I guess. Like, I think Florida State will bump up to the top spot. And I think Clemson will kind of take a step back. And then they'll just have to – Trevor Lawrence, that's the quarterback. When, when Trevor Lawrence finally gets there, I think they'll get back into contention and stuff. Uh, but he's not going to be there until next year. So, but uh, – but I, I think it'll be kind of like that. I think they'll be kind of the same, you know, where they are now. But I think a, a big part of this will be Florida State and K-Makers. If K-Makers, you know, lives up to the hype and has the type of season I think you can have with the defense that Florida State has uh, kind of clicking and, you know, taking the next step, I think that they'll probably be the top team in the conference and still be highly competitive. I just don't think Clemson – We'll get back to what I like. I don't think you're gonna, they're going to get to 14 wins. I guess is what I'm trying to say. Um, <laughs> next year, I don't think yeah, the conference is going to get to 14 wins. That is a lot to ask. Yeah. Okay. And surprise teams, whether it be positive or negative, who do you think the surprise teams in the conference might be? You know, either in terms of being much better than expected, or or perhaps much worse than expected. Who do you think those teams might be? I think Louisville might be worse than expected. Um, I they were they were a team that was very heavily like like Lamar Jackson made up a lot of that team's initial success, and then like it really I hate to say it all comes down to Lamar Jackson, but it really does. I mean, because their, their defense wasn't. Every time I saw their defense, I wasn't, like, blown away. Like, oh, my gosh, this defense is punishing or this defense is amazing. It was just, eh, it's okay. Uh, and their offense, they didn't exactly have amazing wide receiver prospects either. I mean, they had okay wide receiver prospects. They, you know, James Quick and uh, Jamar Staples weren't exactly, like, oh, my gosh, Jamar Staples, one of the best wide receivers. Like, it wasn't like that. So, um, with Lamar Jackson being as kind of, I'm not going to say he's going to regress this year, but there's potential for that to happen. If he regresses and kind of goes back into the Lamar Jackson that he was as a freshman, then that team is not going to be back to what it was. So they're, they're a team that's kind of, there's a lot of potential they could take a step back this year, uh, potentially. So I, because it's so 
it's so hinged on Lamar Jackson, you know, um, it's very Lamar Jackson centric team. And, you know, if he doesn't play well, then nobody plays well kind of thing, uh, with them. Uh, but yeah, I would say it's kind of like that. And the other teams that might be surprisingly good, uh, Boston college, if the quarterback situation there is what it could be, then I think there's some potential that they could surprise a bit and Virginia tech, which I wouldn't say is a big surprise, but if they get another quarterback that is good and they win games, then they could also be another team that kind of surprises. It'd be surprising that they were good for another year, I guess, that kind of situation, you know, because they lost a lot of uh, offensive uh, players and a couple of guys on defense too. Okay. Yeah, I'm inclined to agree with a lot of that. I think the the potential, particularly Virginia Tech, I mean, that's a team that could, like I said, legitimately can be a 10 team, 10 win team. Uh, they would need improved play at wide receiver. Well, improved play amongst the guys who are returning. At wide receiver, they would need to have a pass rusher emerge. They would need to have a pass, a uh, run stuffer emerge. Uh, you know, guys who are really good at running the run emerge on defense as well. Their secondary is pretty decent, and just stay healthy would be a big boon. Uh, they will need to have, you know, a running back emerge. And, of course, obviously, most obviously, I mean, the biggest thing is you just have quarterback play. Can they get above average, solid, consistent quarterback play from, you know, whomever? That's a team that is really to do damage in the conference if they get all of those things. And I guess my sort of surprise-ish team, I mean, Miami is a team that could be not as good as people expected. I think might might even underachieve a little. I mean, not terrible, but, you know, maybe by a game or two less than people are expecting. Although uh, they'll probably have at least one signature win when they beat somebody really good. I mean, I don't know, Florida State. I mean, maybe not them, but somebody. Somebody who weren't expecting they're going to knock off because that's the kind of team they are. Uh, uh, did at one, which is at Virginia Tech. I always have Carolina circle because, you know, I said tremendous market volatility with what Carolina might be, you know, from year to year and even within the year. That's a team that just is so different every time you watch them. Uh, you, you never quite know what you're going to get. And I think this might be the end of the road, unfortunately, for Georgia Tech. Uh, for, for Coach Johnson at Georgia Tech. And I hope I'm wrong. I would like to be incorrect. I would like for them to have a strong season and, you know, Coach Johnson to get to retire on his own terms, you know, at this last stop of his coaching career. I just have a sense of foreboding, unfortunately, around him. Like I said, I'd love to be wrong. Um, you know, Wake Forest and Duke will both pick up some wins. They have seemingly no business finding with Wake still, you know, trying to get to 500 and maybe, I think, coming up in game short. And Duke just being Duke, finding a way to find seven or eight victories just because they seem to um, almost, without, with one exception, really, one recent exception, they seem almost invariably to find a way to do that, even when it seems like they shouldn't be able to. Uh, So, yes, that's sort of how I see it. And ditto on Brown. 
I don't know why he hasn't gotten more attention, but it will happen. He'll get, he'll be quote unquote discovered. I think MJ Stewart is being discovered, but we discovered more as the year goes on. I think people are like they're already over uh, Alexander and DeAndre Francois, a few other guys. And once again, Francois is a Richard sophomore. They may, there'll be some people clamoring for him to come out. I hope he ignores said clamor. Physically, he still needs to develop, and mentally, I think another year with with, uh, with Fisher would really help him. And, of course, I'm always concerned when it comes to quarterbacks in terms of early declaration, and I've been proven right more often than Blue Uh at least in terms of that. And see. Yeah, once again, Cam Akers, with you 100% on him, I think he has a chance to be, you know, first-team all-conference. I think it's a down year for receivers across the board in the conference. That's one thing I will say. I mean, last year they had a lot of really interesting receiver prospects, partially because of the you know the load at Carolina, but not just that. Uh, to some extent across the conference, Syracuse, lots of teams that even were pretty known for wide receiver play had a lot of pretty good wide receiver play. I think the mean took a little step back into that. I think it'll be a little bit of a step forward in terms of offensive tackles. I think there'll be you know another couple of decent tackles. Uh, I think the linebacking across the conference sort of as a whole will be slightly better this year. I don't know about the, I mean, other than the, the, the two big, you know, usual suspect types, I wonder about if there will be another person with a shot to be a double-digit sack guy in the conference. And maybe, you know, maybe somebody at Florida State or maybe somebody somewhere will end up being that guy. Maybe Sweat, maybe someone else. Uh, we'll see. I think running back play will be solid, but genuinely unspectacular with a couple of exceptions. And Mark Walton is a guy, you know, once again, co-signing. I mean, I don't know anybody who doesn't like Mark Walton, but I think he's going to have a very good year catching and and running the ball from, you know, from the line of scrimmage. I mean, I think there will be at least one young quarterback will emerge on somebody's team or amongst all the many young quarterbacks we named. I don't know which one yet. I'll have to go back and look to see, you know, what taker is on some of the guys that played in a limited sort of mop-up situations and maybe some of them who might have played in beyond just mop-up situations amongst the, you know, guys with backups last year. Uh, but, yeah, that's that's probably about the things that are floating around in my brain about. And, of course, once again, tight end. I mean, they have one. You know, obviously, name, name, you know, you mentioned Rizzo. So I guess on the screen, there's also Rizzo, but all sort of the named quantities in the conference, but not, not as much as in years past. I mean, we, we're not looking at a bunch of guys, two, maybe three, who have legitimate plans to play at the next level with tight ends. Uh, slightly better tackle class, center and guard class, probably about what it was. Uh, I think safety took a step back across the conference as a whole. Linebackers and mixed pack. But uh, what other things are you working on, Jim? What other projects and and other stuff that you're preparing? Well, I've been well. Of course, I've been doing the 2018 analytics uh, reviews on prospects. I'm to safeties now, so I'm going to be getting that done, and that'll go up next week and then I'm going to get into some well it's going to be a mix of different things I'm going to be looking at NFL teams and looking at past players which is something I really wanted to do uh, was to go back in the available Rolodex and do 
profiles on past players from a data perspective and then also from somewhat of a film perspective in terms of whatever film is available. Um, so, and the one I'm currently working on is Deion Sanders. So it's, you know, I have data for him and I also have film for him. So it's basically going to be, this is what his production was. This is Deion Sanders. And, you know, the whole business decision thing that he's very famous for, no, that it's really over, showed up on tape, Bill. It's overblown. No, it is. It is. Uh, he was a very times, physical cornerback. Right. Exactly. There are a few times in the NFL where you saw him, and even then he wasn't like he was just ducking the guys, but he would, there are times when he didn't lay a guy out when he could have, and instead he would, you know, get him down or run him out of bounds. Or, I mean, Dion was a smart guy, basically, is what it was. And he knew he didn't get paid extra to blast guys, you know, so he didn't blast a lot of guys at the NFL level, but he was a solid tackler and an effective tackler. And the whole, you know, Dion not liking to tackle or not liking the game to get physical is overblown and a, a flawed narrative at best. Yes. I have, I have the gift. I have the, I have the tape. Like, honestly, Bill, I'm not going to say it's a revelation. I'm just saying that the narrative, like there are corners who play the game right now that are not even like half of, like not even as like half as physical as the owners. Correct. As a cornerback. (laughs) So like this whole thing about him being, you know, well, he just cares about attacking the football and that's it. Like that whole thing. The finesse corner. Yes. The whole finesse corner thing is just a bunch of bunk. So, but yeah, yeah. I, but but that but that's what I've been working on because again, we 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 do comparisons on prospects a lot. Like, oh, he's the next Patrick Willis. Oh, he's the next Ray Lewis. Oh, he's the next. He's the next. This. He's the next. He's the next. Right. But a lot of times we do this and we don't actually go back to see what they looked like in college. Um, which I think again it, it goes back to learning from your mistakes, learning from past players and, you know, and stuff like that. So I, I, that's the next sort of thing to get into is, is, you know, NFL teams, of course, like getting into uh, teams. Uh, Cause you know, a lot of people are saying the Jets have the worst team in the NFL now, uh, but getting, getting into some of that stuff from an analytics perspective. And then also getting into, like I said, previous players, once I wrap up the 2018 sort of previews, you know, nothing set in stone here. You know, I'm just throwing out, you know, some guys that uh, production-wise stuck out and you should be familiar with, you know, at least keep track of once the season starts. So that that's the biggest that's the biggest goal I had for. It, was, it wasn't necessarily to say, these are the top five and that's it. Nothing's going to change, you know, that's not that at all. It's just these right. are guys you should keep track of you know, once the season starts. So um, that, that's really all my intention was in terms of making it. So, yeah. Right. Well, that's early in the process. We don't know. We don't really know who's good or not yet. Uh, there's a lot that's going to happen. Some guys will be much better than we remember them from last year, and some guys will unfortunately not be as good as we remember them being last year. And, you know, that's the whole point of playing the season, obviously, to, uh, to, to see – like I said, we can't just assume improvement and development, which some people 
do. Well, he'll be better next year. Well, maybe. Right. Yeah. <laughs> but but I also think it's good to – it's like anything else. If if you only watch Joey Bosa in his final year or Miles Garrett in his final year, then you would not have seen his film from his sophomore year, if that makes any sense. Like, in, in the sense of people oftentimes come to judgments about players and what they do in their final year when, in my opinion, based on the data even – it's not necessarily what they do in their final year as much as, much as the body of evidence, I guess. So, you know, players fall through the cracks all the time when they have a down last year, you know. Uh, but unfortunately, there's other – like, that's the only thing I would say about this class is that there's not a ton of like a Bosa, like a Garrett. Like, you know, there isn't a ton of that guy who's coming into this year who right out of the box hits every sort of thing you know, in terms of numbers, um, which is scary and not so scary, except for quarterbacks, though. That's the only thing. Lots of quarterbacks, but everybody hates quarterbacks. Uh, but there, there definitely is uh, – and running backs, too. So, like, there's stuff like that. But I would just say defensively there isn't a ton of um, guys like that, which is exciting because that means, you know, there's a chance that some people will, you know, come out of the woodwork, you know. I don't know. Uh, I just think it's kind of an interesting year when it comes to uh, – defensive players in, in particular. So, but, uh, but yeah, that, that's the only thing I would really say about next year's class. Defensively, it's kind of uh, wait and see a lot when it comes to that position. Got it. Perfect. And, you know, I am also beginning to start working my way through tape um, of guys that you know, I may have noticed last year. In some cases, didn't really notice last year, but I know that I should take a look at and putting together my watch list uh, for my various sort of awards that I've, I'll be giving a little before the season. And uh, starting to collect the names of some players I may want to try to book for the Saturday show, which will be coming back very, very soon. And, uh, and yeah, uh, that's 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 what I'm up to. So, one, always appreciate having you, Jim. It's always a pleasure, a privilege, and an honor. You, I think people are starting to come around with some, are starting to come around to the work that you do. Uh, you'll still obviously be getting some uh, pushback, but I know that you know that's part of the deal. But, yes, I do look forward to seeing what you do next, and thank you once again for your time, your talents, and your attention. Have a great rest of tonight. And I'll talk to you soon, Jim. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.